Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is the start of the big fight for the Union of the United Kingdom today as Prime Minister Boris Johnson heads to Scotland in an effort to head off what is being described as a surge in support for the Scottish National Party and Independence. Two recent polls have charted the Scots as voting in favour of going it alone at the second time of asking after losing their first bid back in 2014. Of course, that was supposed to be a once-in-a-lifetime referendum. Turns out that wasn't true, like an awful lot of other promises that get made made by all sorts of politicians in all sorts of parties. But of course, here's the thing. I don't believe that Nicola Sturgeon actually wants to hold another another referendum at all uh, because she's been cleverly doing her level best all year to undermine the government and Boris Johnson at every single turn. One minute calling his lifting of the lockdown reckless before ordering exactly the same measures just one week later. She's being painted by her fans as a safe pair of hands. But only a few months ago, the entire edifice of the SNP could have come crashing down around the trial of Alex Salmon, the former First Minister. He was found innocent of the charges against him, uh, and it all seems to have gone away. And if the SNP were to lose a second referendum, of course, their independence dreams would be over. They would be finished. They would be kaput. Here's what I believe, and this is what I said to Alison Stewart just a few moments ago. I don't believe that Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP actually want a second referendum, because in any event, whether they won it or lost it, they would be finished as a political force. There wouldn't be any point to the SNP. They'd suddenly have to be a party uh, that was fighting other parties on policy, not just on one single issue, because that's what they're all about. We'll be asking Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh, Christine Jardin, what she makes of it all, and I'm sure she'll be in support, uh, as I am, of continued British support for Scotland's economy. I know that many of you will have much to say about this, particularly if you live in England, because an awful lot more people in England now want Scotland, Scotland to become independent. They want to cut them off. They say, give us the vote and you can be as independent as you like. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be checking in with travel guru for the independent Simon Calder. who will bring us up to speed with the latest Airbridge news in the hopes that Portugal will be declared a safe country within days, just as Spain appears to be heading the other way. Have you booked a holiday yet? Are you going to? Do let us know what your plans are. 0344 499 1000. We'll be finding out just why shop owners and even the police aren't keen to enforce the new mask wearing laws when they come into tomorrow and we'll be heading over to California with LaDonna Harvey for the very latest on Kanye West and his presidential bid and indeed his state of mind. Homeschooling today is all about art and how you can get involved in it. You're listening to me Mike Graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is of course Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
So Boris Johnson's heading up to Scotland today. Uh, we're not entirely certain whether he will be making any kind of public appearance or any kind of public speech, but he's written a piece uh, in the Times, uh, in the Scottish edition of the Times this morning, in which he's basically talked about how this is not just a marriage of convenience. Uh, given the number of times he's been married, you might think that's an unusual choice of words. But listen, uh, not for me to say. What I would say to you is this. We are very, very uh, good at believing what we are told from Scotland. I've worked in Scotland. You know, my antecedents are from Scotland. I still talk to an awful lot of people in Scotland. And it's true to say that independence has become a massive issue. It's become like Brexit. It was in this country, massively divisive. There are people in Scotland who are absolute fanatics about staying in the union. And there are also people who are even more fanatical about leaving it. The bottom line for me uh, is that if there was to be a second referendum, I am not at all convinced that, in fact, the vote would be yes and the vote would go the opposite way to the way it went the first time around. Because there are an awful lot of people, a little bit like the Brexit referendum again, an awful lot of people um, who actually don't want independence from the United Kingdom. And it's still very unclear if Scotland was to become independent, whether it would be allowed to be a separate nation within the European Union, which is what they want. It's never been quite that easy for me to understand the policy that the SNP have been pursuing, which is that they want to be independent from the UK, but they want to be dependent on the EU. Let's talk to Christine Jardine, uh, who is, of course, Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh West, to see what she makes of it all. Christine, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, I'm not, not buying. Wrong. I'm not buying this whole. You know, Boris Johnson's going up to Scotland to prop up the union. I'm not convinced by the SNP's propaganda that they have uh, enough for a majority to win an independence referendum. What do you think? Um, well, the last time we voted in Scotland, which was only December, um, they had 45% of the votes. Now they make an awful lot at Westminster about. Um, opinion polls, but you know, opinion polls come and go, they change, and I know it's an old cliche for politicians to say it, but the only opinion poll that matters is the one on yes. the day. We had opinion polls in the last referendum which said that they were going to win, and they didn't. Right. And I think, um, you know, the last few months have been very difficult for everybody. Um, and in some ways, I mean, I'm not going to criticise the Scottish government. Some of the things they've done have worked. Um, it will be once it, it's a bit like the UK government. It won't be until the dust has all settled and we know what decisions were the right ones and what decisions were the wrong ones. We can actually judge. But what is absolutely clear to all of us is that if it hadn't been for the union and the strength of the union and the you know the UK exchequer, then not just Scotland, but England, Wales and Northern Ireland, none of us would have been in a stronger position to be able to help businesses as we are. Right. And we're beginning, yeah, in, in Scotland, businesses aren't opening up as quickly as they are in the rest of the UK. That's, a, you know, a judgment that the Scottish government have made. And a lot of people like it, a lot don't like it. And we'll see what happens at the end of it. But, I, you know, I don't think it's a case of Boris propping up the union. No, I don't either. Um, and I, I also see, I mean, as I said uh, earlier on, I don't know if you were able to hear it, there's an awful lot of very successful propaganda that comes out of Holyrood, that comes out of, um, you know, the First Minister's um, residence uh, up there uh, in Edinburgh. And there's an awful lot of people in this country, in England, who think that the Scots are, you know, full square behind Nicola Sturgeon, which I, I don't believe to be the case either. It's not. It's abs you're absolutely right. It's not the case. I mean, I made a speech in Parliament about this just um, a couple of weeks ago. I'm sick and tired of this, you know, claiming that they speak for Scotland. They don't. Right. They speak for 45% of the people of Scotland. That's mm. less than half. Right. 
So, you know, more than half of the people of Scotland are spoken for by, you know, Labour, Conservative, ourselves, and the Liberal Democrats. It's, you know, we are not full square, 100% behind the SNP. They just make the most noise and they make the most fuss about their support. Mm. Um, so, you know, no, everything is not as pro-SNP in Scotland as very often we're led to believe. No, exactly. But they have sort of turned the screw and made things a little bit more nasty over the years because, you know, I never thought I would see the day. My, my parents are both from Glasgow. Uh, you know, I consider myself to be Scottish, despite the fact mm-hmm. that you would probably tell me I'm just a Sassanac. You know, the bottom line is for me. Um, <laughs> I never say that, mate. <laughs> the bottom line is for me. You know, I never thought I'd see the day when a genuinely uh, elected MPs, democratically elected MPs, would actually say that they want a border between Scotland and England and they want police on that border to stop the English coming into Scotland. No, it's completely unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for a lot of Scots as well, we don't like it. We find, you know, it's... Um, as someone who was, you know, born and brought up in, in Glasgow, moved to Aberdeen, now has lived in Edinburgh for several years and represents Edinburgh. I've lived in all different parts of Scotland. Yeah. And in every single part of Scotland, yes, there are people who would like to be independent. But if you go to Aberdeen or Inverness or Orkney, Shetland, where the um, Orkney, where the Prime Minister is today, or Harris, they will, there are people there who will tell you that it's no better having a government in Edinburgh than in London. Yeah. And they don't feel any closer to the government in Edinburgh than in London. And the government in Edinburgh, they feel discriminates against you know, the Highlands Islands. Yeah. Everything goes to the central belt. That here in Edinburgh and Glasgow, we get everything. And that is the kind of that's the kind of picture that people in England don't get about Scotland. It's not, you know, we're all behind the SNP and these blooming English are stopping us having independence. No. There are, you know, there are a lot of people who support the SNP, but there are more people who want to stay in the UK. And if you think about it, the argument the SNP are making at the moment is, oh, we're being torn out of an economic union. Now, I supported the European Union, as you know. Yes. We're being torn out of the European Union. So what's the answer to that? tear ourselves out of another economic union. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Exactly. And I think... Once it calms down, people will see that. Yeah, I think so. But, of course, the other problem is that more people voted for Brexit in Scotland than voted for the SNP. And so there are people <laughs> in Scotland who did actually want to leave the European Union. But the bottom line as well, Christine, for me, uh, is... Most of them were SNP supporters. Well, isn't that bizarre? I mean, the bottom line for me is they don't even have a plan. And my, 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 my point earlier on as well is that I don't actually believe that there's a genuine um, wish by Nicola Sturgeon to have a second referendum because whichever result comes out of it, she's done. Because if you don't need the SNP if you've got independence, you need a proper political party with proper policies, not just sort of, you know, gathering around one single issue. And if they lose it, they're done as well. So, you know, I think they prefer to just stand there complaining, saying we can't get the powers that we want. Look at those horrible people in Westminster. They won't give us what we want. And they just like the fight. Yeah. And I think one of the things that... um they, they make a big deal. Now, ref, the devolution referendum and devolution in Scotland followed um, the Thatcher government in the 80s, which was incredibly unpopular in Scotland. Yeah. They lost all their MPs. And the SNP see this. You know, Boris is unpopular. This is another opportunity to sort of, you know, blame um, the Tories. Now, I'm, you know, not averse to blaming the government for things it that has it been is known. responsible for. Um, you know, I've said it once or twice, but... What they forget in this is that independence for Scotland would not be about Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson is just one prime minister. The Conservative Party, if there was an independent Scotland, the Scottish Conservative Party would still exist. So 
this argument they make about wanting Tories out of Scotland and it not being a government Scotland voted for doesn't actually stand up when you scrutinise it. Yeah. And the other thing about it, Scotland voted for the government in Holyrood. The United Kingdom voted for the government at Westminster. Yes, exactly And they also right. they make this thing about Scotland not being part of Westminster. Does, you know, I'll say it politely, that's nonsense, because it's 10 years since we had the second Scottish Prime Minister in a row, and we've had loads of them. Hmm. Um, Scottish Foreign Ministers, Chancellors of the Exchequer. If you look at the government just now, there are Cabinet Ministers who are Scottish, hmm. if, and other ministers, you look at the opposition front benches, you have Scots, we have Scots. Scots are not separate from Westminster, we are part of it. And the argument that the SNP make just for a lot of us in Scotland is a very shallow, very pointed, very sort of narrow-visioned, you know, nationalism. It's all about it's all about one thing, and they mm. don't look at what is actually best in the long run for all of us. No. And also, I've not really ever seen, despite the fact that Nicola Sturgeon would no doubt argue with me, any a cogent sort of plan as to what Scotland outside of the UK would look like. You know, we've talked endlessly, you and I, about Brexit and the various trade deals that might have to be yeah. done inside and outside. We've talked about Northern Ireland. We've talked about the border in the middle of the sea. You know, nobody's actually said, well, where would the border be between Scotland and England? And, and what would that mean exactly? To be fair to them, they did produce a white paper in uh, 2012, 2013. Yeah, I for said the 2014 cogent. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. You didn't say cogent. Yeah. Um, and it was, um, it was torn apart, basically, because it didn't allow for the fact, you know, what currency would Scotland have? Mm. Um, you know, would we have the pound? Would we have a different currency? Would we take the euro? They talk about rejoining Europe. Well, you know what? Europe would have to agree to that. There's 27 well, exactly. countries would and have also, to agree to that. There's an understanding from some in Europe, and I'm not sure that everybody would have this view, that the EU would not be that keen uh, to encourage uh, independence for Scotland because they then have the Catalan problem in Spain. The Catalans, yeah. Catalan Nobody and, wants you know, that. Walloon and, and, and Belgium. And no, they don't want that precisely. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the Spanish would be against it. The other problem is, of course, there are rules that you have to... There are criteria that you have to meet to join the European Union. And frankly, Scotland wouldn't meet them. Yeah. Um, and after the experiences with, you know, Greece narrowly made it, and there are all sorts of accusations about that. And then it was very difficult a few years for Greece and for the European yes. Union. They're not going to want that again because they're no longer of the UK. Um, so there are fewer big, strong countries. In it, you know, so if Scotland came in... Um, but, you know, it just, it would cause problems for everybody. And I'm, I doubt very much if it would be as easy as the SNP continually likes to mm. tell us. No, exactly right. And as far as the whole kind of um, devolution movement uh, went, as far as, it, as far as it goes, I mean, what's your yeah. view on whether they should kind of try and increase the powers that Scotland has? I mean, they already have some powers for tax raising that they don't actually use. Um, I mean, that. would you be in favour of giving Holyrood more powers? Well, I was in favour, and we did after the the um, 2014 referendum. The 2016 Scotland Act made it the most powerful devolved parliament in the world, mm. and it does have tax raising powers. And in Scotland now, we pay more tax than the rest of the United Kingdom. And there's been a huge row at Westminster um, between the Conservatives and the SNP because if you serve in the armed forces and you're based in Scotland, yeah. you pay more tax right. than if you're based anywhere else. So there's been a, big, been a big argument about that. But you're right, they don't use all the powers that they have. They didn't use the tax powers. John Swinney actually let them, this is before the, the new tax-raising powers, the original ones, the mm. SNP let lapse. 
Yeah. Because you have to renew them every year, so they, they lapsed. And they now have welfare um, powers that, that they were going to bring in, but no, no, they don't use them. They've put them off. And the waspy women, which is a huge thing right across the UK, uh, the women born in the 1950s yes. who had their pension age changed, and you know there's a court case going on about that at the moment. The SNP have campaigned for those women to have their money, but the SNP government at Holyrood, which has the power to actually do something to mitigate the circumstances, doesn't do it. Yes, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the trouble as well with all of this talk of of separation is that there are people now that I hear from on this show from England who say, give us the referendum on Scotland and we'll make sure that they become independent. And I worry that there are people in in, in England now who feel kind of resentment towards Scotland. And that's not what I want to see. What I would like to see for England, if I'm absolutely honest, is I would like to see what, what would be better for all of us across the United Kingdom is a more federal structure. Yeah. Um, and for I was I was watching um, BBC. Sorry to say that on here, but I was Bad watching um, no, a long, presentation. Let's say yeah, this morning, <laughs> um, and they were talking about the um, Grant Chaps was talking about the money that the UK government's putting into the north of England at yeah. the moment. And it struck me that you know areas like Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, down in Cornwall, these are all areas which could do with some form of devolution. London, yeah, as a very successful devolved authority we forget that that london has devolution so i think the the answer to all of this the answer to scottish independence arguments is that the rest of the united kingdom should have the same sort of devolution as we have and that westminster should become a more federal parliament for um the rest of the country what you mean you'd stop having scottish mps you mean no, you'd still have Scottish MPs, you'd still have English MPs and Welsh MPs and Northern Irish MPs. But in the same way as you have MSPs for Scotland who um, deal with education, housing, right. transport, you would have um, members of a North of England Parliament or a Cornwall Parliament uh-huh. or whatever who dealt with those issues or whatever the people in that area thought was relevant, those issues in um, in their region. Right. Because the problem that we have at the moment is that we have an asymmetric system of government. Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland all have different systems of government and different from from England. And yeah. England is actually the one which I feel um, is losing out at the moment. Yes, yeah, interesting. Because being that. a Liberal Democrat, I think that the most effective way of running things is to have the, the governing power devolved to where it's closest to yes. the community. Which would be fine as long as you did away with the House of Lords, because otherwise you're just introducing yet another layer oh, of, of, uh, of, of politicians absolutely. and more public money. But being a Liberal Democrat, you're preaching to the converted about <laughs> the House of Lords. And all well, hang on, you've got more people in there than, than, uh, than you've got in, 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 in the House of Commons, though. At the moment, it didn't used to be like that, but at the moment, and hopefully it won't be like that in the future, we'll fix that. But yeah, the, I mean, we did try to reform the House of Lords. That was in our manifesto, and we tried to... We tried to get it done in the coalition and the Tories just yeah. wouldn't wait it. But, you know, I think that that has to be something, that has to be the next that has to be the next thing we look at as well, is, you know, really in the 21st century, do we want an unelected upper chamber? I think it's us, the only two countries in the world who have that are us, and I think it's Lesotho. Yeah. Um, so it's also, I think, only, century, it's, it's, on. it's only, it, the only other bigger chamber with the number of people in it that we have is in China. 
you know. So yeah, I mean, and it's, look it's at the a, size of China. Well, yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. And it's not even I mean, a proper democracy, for heaven's sake. Now, one uh, one final question for you, Christine. If yeah. in fact you were a betting woman, I don't know whether you are. Uh, would you say <laughs> you, we will see an independence referendum in Scotland in this in this Parliament, this Westminster Parliament? Oh, that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question. I think the Scottish Nationalists will do their utmost to get one. Right. But um, I tend, I tend to doubt it. Um, of course, I would say that because I don't want one. Um, I want to, um, I want to continue to devolution the process, hmm. and I want to continue um, with the devolution process. I want a more federal UK. I don't want an independence referendum. Can you imagine the money that would be wasted oh, in God. that? Yeah, no. We've had eight, nearly nine years now of division, and argument in Scotland about independence and Brexit. We've got to put a stop to it and, you know, just get on with the day-to-day business of running the country. Yeah, I totally totally agree. You know, making people's lives better and helping them where we can and put all the narrow and nationalist ranting and arguments, put it all behind us. Move on and start being positive. Well said. Christine Jardine there, uh, who is, of course, Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh West. Be positive. Get on with it. Stop whinging. And you're not going to get a referendum anyway. That's the message from the Independent Republican Mike Graham to the SNP, to Nicola Sturgeon and to Scotland. So there. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, tomorrow, uh, Friday, if you are in England, uh, in all parts of it, there will be a new law uh, which will require you to wear a face covering or a mask of some description when you go into a shop. Now... Uh, the police will be charged with uh, carrying out this particular law, as will be people who run the shops. However, as I've said before, I can't really see that happening. We're going to talk now to Alison Hernandez from Devon and Cornwall Police and Crime Commission. Uh, she's the actual commissioner. Uh, Alison, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Now, you put a statement out a couple of days ago talking about this particular uh, change in the law, uh, suggesting that the police would not be in Devon and Cornwall uh, in a position to kind of police it, as it were. Well, yeah, one of the things I've actually been trying to explain, because I want to make sure public expectation is not raised, Mm. that they just start ringing the police for everybody who's not wearing a face mask in a shop. That's not the aim of the legislation. The aim is to help implore people to wear one. And uh, we want shopkeepers to play their part, because otherwise they're going to lose custom if so many people are coming in without wearing face masks, because people will stop going Mm. to shop in their shop. And obviously the police will be there to support if there's something that turns into a disorder, assault, you know, if it's getting to a point where people are concerned about their safety, mm. uh, then they can call the police. But just we don't want routine uh, calls around uh, people not wearing face masks. Are you likely to be putting more police out sort of on the streets where the where the shops are to kind of keep an eye on things? Well, we've got two things running at the moment. One is because we're the number one domestic tourist destination in the country. We have a huge summer surge of visitors, 45 million overnight stays in a normal year. Right. So we already have a summer policing plan, which is putting more streets out visibly in places and spaces where the public are going to be. Um, I've also personally introduced a scheme which involves street marshals, which is to help people be uh, reminded of some of the rules while they're out and about on the streets. And we've got some of those in a couple of our town centres uh, where they feel they need what, uh, a bit more extra support. Yes, we were talking to uh, one of our guests the other day who said that, uh, he's a doctor in fact, and he said that there was, uh, in London, a couple of police officers standing outside a tube station. And if anybody was walking into that tube station not wearing a mask, they were asked to put one on. 
Um, nothing apparently, um, you know, came from that as, as, as much as any incidents are concerned. But what's your actual active advice to your individual officers in terms of how they approach it, what they do if they see somebody trying to go into a shop without a mask on? Well, obviously, the chief constable, constable of our force, as, as is all forces, will be directing those officers. But uh, obviously, clearly, what I'm doing is we'll be speaking to the chief constable, seeing how it's going like we have through the whole of COVID. And if need be, we'll be doing some scrutiny on, on, on the work that they did, as I did with their fixed penalty notices issues, because we were the third top force in the country issuing fixed penalty notices. So we don't take the issue lightly, but I just want there to be an awareness that we don't want the public ringing in and you know that's the that's where the demand will come into our right. call centers and that will be uh, unsustainable throughout our summer we have a 10 percent increase in crime during the summer so we can't afford to be distracted uh you know where people are, are concerned about just right. people not wearing a face mask and are you empowered to do um uh, sort of on the spot fines uh, at the moment the, the fixed penalty notices is something that can, is continued since the beginning of lockdown so they can still be issuing them if the if police officers feel the need to do so in the right circumstances and at the moment it's pretty much stopped because what's overtaken the covid policing is ordinary policing because yeah. everybody's out and about now anti-social behavior has, has really increased um lots more calls about disorder alcohol disorder you've seen some of those i'm sure and talked about yeah. some of those challenges that we've had since we've eased lockdown so yeah they've, they've been very busy doing ordinary policing at the moment no absolutely and as far as the the holiday makers are concerned that does seem to be an awful lot of people just from my own anecdotal um, evidence uh, in devon and cornwall at the moment already having having been on holiday for the last couple of weeks yeah and do you know my biggest concern at the moment i've met a number of elderly people who literally have had panic attacks mm. when we ease lockdown because they were so frightened to go outside even though they had their own face mask yeah. and understood the rules so i think this 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 guidance from government is about trying to give people confidence to go out go out and do that shopping and help our businesses thrive but we've got that balance really of making sure that uh, uh, we, we're not over expecting uh, a bit too much of a heavy-handed policing no. approach during this time but i think because of the word compulsory i think that's mm. what's given people the wrong idea and i think there are some people certainly who are fed up with the idea that they are being told they must wear a mask and they're saying to me well we're not going to go to the shops if that's the case so actually it might have the reverse effect on on the economy possibly possibly and actually that is everybody's right and i think people this is the best thing we can do is give people the advice of how they can stay safe yeah. and i've always say no matter what is going on around you you keep your six foot distance and wash your hands and don't touch your face if you if you're worried about every what everyone else is doing you just do that and if you understand the risk in your community you can decide to choose where you go and what you do and i think we'll have to just see how this plays yeah. out over the next few weeks really sure and in some of the previous cases of um, punishments being handed out by the police whether it was an on-the-spot fine for for traveling mm. when you shouldn't have been and all of that i know the cps had a problem with prosecuting some of these cases because they said they couldn't work out which laws had actually been broken are we gonna have the same problem with this oh we'll have to wait and see on that as well won't we i think the whole thing is um we're all working in this in fast time um and everyone's just doing their best to help people follow the guidance so mm. i think we're just gonna have to see how that plays out i know in terms of fixed penalty notices you know we've got to recoup that money as well so we're at the point now of are we that will be the next challenge to look at have we actually uh, people paid their fines uh, and what does that look like going yeah. forward because if they're not and there's lots of challenges um it'll end up being uh, something that won't be a, a useful thing to use. Well, that's right. And also, if the law isn't really enforceable, it's not really a law, is it? 
Well, it, yeah, I, I think the challenge we've got at the moment is really we want the public to understand the risk in their area and take their own and make their own decisions about what they're going to do, where they're going to go. Uh, and all they can do is listen to the guidance. The, the thing that we've had to do in this crisis is trust the government. They have the information that we don't have about how all of this works. Uh, and I think that's where we're at still at the moment. And until we come out of this crisis uh, in a little bit more time, we'll be able to start reflecting on things that might be done differently. Yeah. Do you think it might have been helpful if they actually supplied the masks? Because certainly in Spain mm. and other European countries, they were people were given masks, which kind of, I think, because for some people, you know, to buy a mask for five quid is quite a big outlay. Oh, I agree. I, I was in a shop the other day, five ninety nine. they were selling one mm. of these uh, disposable masks right. for. It's absolutely shocking. Right. Uh, I, I'm really worried as well. Well, particularly, I think shopkeepers might want to have a, a small supply of them, because if you think people who are street homeless and people who are also mentally unwell or un able to comprehend what the guidance or rules mean mm. they might need a little bit of help right. and you know we want shopkeepers to try and be helpful and i know some of our food banks in particular the charities running some of those are actually getting a supply of masks to give to some of the most vulnerable people so that they have got them right okay well listen really appreciate you taking time to talk to us Alison. thanks very much indeed Alison hernandez devon and cornwall police and crime commissioner they're talking about the complications of actually policing this entire business because we've been speaking about it all week. We will speak about it some more coming up after midday because shopkeepers are not going to want to get themselves into trouble uh, by allowing people into their shops without masks on. But by the same token, they might not feel uh, as if they can be confident enough to tell people you can't come in unless you've got a mask on because if the person doesn't have a mask and they want to come in, then what happens? And what we've heard there from Alison Hernandez is what they don't want is people ringing up the cops to say, because you come down and arrest some people because they've come into my shop without masks on. It's all a bit of a mess, isn't it? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. 
Now, let us, without further ado, head across to Italy, to Venice, in, uh, to be precise, where Simon Calder, uh, who is, of course, the travel guru of all travel gurus, is currently travelling. Uh, and we'll get from him what is going on, not only there, uh, but in all other parts of Europe as well. Simon, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Mike. And uh, those of you who are watching in full colour, yes, you can see the glories of the former independent Republic of Venice. And um, it's just like an ordinary summer's day here. Uh, it's extraordinary that um, uh, you wouldn't know that there was anything amiss, except that there's probably about half the number of tourists you would get and none of the cruise ships. Um, and of course, the only time things are different is as soon as you go into any indoors, whether that's a hotel reception, a shop, a bar, you immediately put on a mask yes. and um, you will be tutted at if you uh, fail to comply. But um, I, I've been traveling as far and wide as I can across the uh, border in France, actually a lot more relaxed and um, masks are considerably more optional, except on public transport. Right. But uh, as you say, we may well be able to go to Portugal just at the time when um, uh, we're getting some spikes in Spain. Well, quite. And it's a fascinating uh, bird's eye view that you're giving us of Venice. It doesn't look very busy in terms of the amount of people ah. walking around. But I suppose well, you're saying that it's, it's busier than it's been for a while. Well, I'm sort of on the left bank. I'm slightly away from the uh, uh, the, the main crowd. Um, if you, I've, I've been across to uh, St Mark's Square, probably about half full, the beautiful Rialto Bridge. Um, that's a pretty chocker block. Right. But, um, I mean, what makes so much difference, I must say, is not having the cruise ships, because normally every day you get uh, one or two cruise ships bringing three or 4,000 people in. Uh, that's not happening. The station uh, was pretty busy when I came in, and certainly the locals that I've talked to say that things have got a lot busier in the past week or so, um, which kind of from the UK, or at least England and Wales point of view, also correlates with schools yes. breaking up to the extent that they were actually in terms. So, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're most definitely seeing um, uh, things brightening up here, at least. But um, elsewhere, it looks very, very uncertain. Yes. Well, it's very, very heartening to see people sitting in uh, sort of sidewalk cafes, people walking oh, around, yes. tourists basically back in business. Because one of the things that we really do need in London is for tourism to return, right? Uh, it certainly is. But, I mean, London's going to be a big problem for a while, partly because we've got this air bridge in place, which is um, stopping people, for example. Uh, sorry, we've, we've got this quarantine in place, which stops an awful lot of people, particularly, say, from the uh, the Arab countries, where traditionally there's always been a lot of people coming into London, spending summer in a five-star hotel. Great news for the city. Um, fairly terrible this summer, of course, because nobody is coming in and they... Yeah, they're basically being told, well, you can come in, but you're going to have to go and sit in your room for two weeks. Yes. I'm presuming if the air bridge to Portugal is opened up, then that will mean that people can go there on holiday. Uh, they can get travel insurance because it's now on a list. Uh, and also they won't have to quarantine on the when they come home. Yeah, I mean, all of the above. At the moment, we've got this weird position, Mike, where you can go with the Foreign Office blessing to um, Madeira, to the Azores. Yes. Islands where there's almost no coverage at all, uh, no, no coronavirus at all. When you come back from those places, though, you will have to quarantine, even though you've been far safer there than pretty much anywhere else on the planet. Um, whereas the, uh, uh, the Department of Transport says the whole of Portugal is um, 
is too dangerous at the moment. Mm. But I, I'm expecting that to change, to be announced on uh, Monday. I have, with um, many people on social media, bet a Sagresh beer that um, uh, there will not be uh, any quarantine in place by um, August. And I'm fairly confident of winning that bet. So I'll be okay. uh, turning up at Albufera uh, to do a tour of the bars <laughs> and collect my winnings. Excellent. Well, you must uh, do us a tour of the bars on this show while, we, while, we're, while we're at it. I've got a question here from um, Olivia in Kent who says, I want to know if you travel somewhere not on the government's list, what does it actually mean to say the insurance is not covered? Would you not get hospital care even if you had uh, a European health uh, identity card? Uh, great, great question. And look, for many people who are in Portugal at the moment, and I couldn't believe it when I flew out to Stansted, from Stansted to Italy, yeah. the number of flights going across to um, uh, Portugal, considering the foreign office says, we think it's too dangerous, please don't go, right. was astonishing. So there's loads of people here at the moment and doing exactly as, as uh, sorry, was it Christine suggested, which is that um, uh, you just use the European health insurance card, whatever the foreign office says, if you're in a European Union country, that will guarantee you medical treatment yes. on the same basis as the locals. So, okay. uh, yeah, a lot of people are using that as a kind of uh, backup insurance, even yeah. though it's clearly not as strong as proper travel insurance. No, of course, because a proper travel insurance also would cover something that goes wrong on the holiday rather than just if you needed some medical treatment, which presumably, if you haven't got insurance, that won't happen. Yes, um, exactly. But actually, the, the kind of main purpose, I think, that most of us get travel insurance is to avoid those multi-thousand pound bills for, uh, for medical yes. care. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's what a lot of people are doing. But of course, that only works within Europe. You're going somewhere else. Absolutely off the right. Office list, like uh, Morocco, Tunisia, Egypt, then um, uh, you could, could be... Um, uh, it could be flummoxed, I think it's a yes. technical term. I'm very much enjoying this virtual tour of Venice, Simon. I must say, ah. I didn't realise not only are you a very talented uh, writer and journalist, <laughs> but you could also double uh, as a courier, a travel courier, to show everybody where you're going. Now, um, which part of Venice are we in now? It looks like there's a bit of sort of um, trendy graffiti there. Uh, yes, there certainly is. Yeah, very nice of you to ask. I'm, I'm in the, uh, I think I'm in the San Polo district. And the whole of Venice is this, this warren of neighbourhoods. And I've stepped away from the, the busier areas. Mm. And, of course, the... Oh, we've just lost your uh, sound there for a second. But we can still see uh, the pictures. Go on. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so um, it, the thing about Venice is that if you um, just turn off the back streets, you are absolutely guaranteed to find just beautiful corners and... Yeah. Uh, lovely gardens and so on um and actually cafes where you're not going to be, um, have to have a kidney removed in order to pay for a cup of coffee on the terrace <laughs> well i remember going to capri and finding it a bit like that what about uh, yes. what about the sort of regulations when 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 you arrived in uh, italy what 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 were you greeted with at the airport um quite long queue for passport control right. uh, we have to get used to the longer long runs after uh, brexit or after uh, the 1st of December when we leave the transition agreement. But no, it's very funny, both to France and to Italy, you get the airlines saying, oh, Mike, really important that you fill in this form, but you know, make sure you do it right. You've got to give all these details, your home phone number, your lug group or whatever it is. Right. Um, and you fill it in really carefully and it takes hours and then nobody gives a monkeys when you get here. <laughs> um, but, but that's not the case with some other places, Greece, for example, and Cyprus, when we can go there from the 1st of um, uh, August, um, 
you have to fill in a passenger locator form and you can actually be quite heavily fined if you um, uh, fail oh, that. to... Uh, That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Now, which I know the canals have all got names, haven't they? Because obviously there's a Grand Canal. Yeah. Which one's that? Can you, can you tell me? Well, uh, this is this is called the Rio del de Tre, Tre Ponti. So okay. uh, the River of Three Bridges. Of course, it's uh, is it an actual river? I don't know. You've got river specialists who will be able to tell you that. Well, do you oh, remember? Crikey. And we've seen our first collision. Oh, Did good. You see that? Goodness yeah. me! Listen, you might have to be a witness to that. You better, you better get oh, your. Well, uh, we've got it all on better, camera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about? I haven't seen any gondolas yet. Are the gondola guys back in business? Uh, uh, the gondoliers are as cheesed off as anything as you can imagine. Yeah, because um, uh, well, yeah, they rely on. Uh, yeah, well, of course. Simon's just gone a bit. To, um, Go on. Uh, yeah, el elderly people who are prepared to, uh, uh, yeah, pay quite a lot of money, um, eighty euros for half an hour. Yes. To be uh, very good. Thank you. I'm sorry, it's being heckled by uh, a vendor there. Um, and uh, and and so the um, uh, they're they're having a pretty tough time. I haven't actually tried negotiating with one because um i suspect the price wouldn't come down that much no but i mean of course they like everybody else in in the uh tourism industry and italy about one eighth of its economy depends on tourism has been very very hard hit by this and they are absolutely delighted to see um the likes of uh, me and i hope you and your lovely listeners back mm. but of course so much uncertainty I mean, we've, you mentioned the uh, lockdown in Lanzarote, Barcelona tightening yes. up and everything. It is entirely possible that I could uh, uh, find myself um, in an area where there's a local lockdown. Either I get stuck in somebody else's lockdown or um, there's the risk that you might find that the uh, foreign office says, Oi, um, anybody who's been to Venice in the last uh, week or two, yeah. we've seen a spike there. Uh, you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks when you get back. Well, that is the problem. So, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. If, for example, you're in uh, Barcelona and they decide to lock down Barcelona, um, as a British citizen, are you entitled to find yourself a plane that you can get on because you have to be uh, repatriated? Not necessarily. We've seen local lockdowns in um, uh, Lleida in Catalonia, um, which is a place where not many people would ever go to on holiday. Right. And the basic, they basically sort of said, right, right, if you don't live here, you can leg it now. Right. Um, whereas we've seen another place in Galicia, uh, La Marina, mm. where they said, um, right, nobody move. You're all oh, staying right. here. So you're not even allowed um, out of your hotel? No, no, well, no. I mean, it's a, 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 you know, you are taking risks yes. when you travel. Um, and it's a summer like no other. I think that the rewards um, outweigh the... Uh, the small risks, but um, I'm certainly not for one moment saying that it's for everybody. If you've got, yeah, you know, anybody with a real job, for instance, yes, yeah, you know, would find it difficult to say to the boss, "Oh, yeah, I'm in Venice for another couple of weeks." Yes, um, yes, that's uh, not always an easy my, conversation to have, or yeah. in, or indeed when you come back to say, "Well, actually, I'm really sorry, but I can't come back to the office. I've got to self-isolate for 14 days." Uh, yes, e exactly, um, oh, and and so it's a, uh, you know, it's it's just so much, so much uncertainty. Mm. And that's breeding a lot of stress among people who should simply be looking forward to their 
uh, fantastic uh, opportunity to. Uh, well, I tell you what, to, your to a... your walking tour of Venice is very much de-stressing me. I'm fi- I'm finding it oh, brilliant. Good. Now we're talking about the waterways, right? Um, yes. I think you and I had a conversation. Do you remember? Um, uh, the, I think it was one of the uh, tabloids ran a piece about how the water was running out in Venice, and it was all you know, um, you know, because yeah. of the drought or something like that. But it turns out that it's all tidal. Because you were saying you're not sure if it's a river or not. My understanding is it's, it's basically the sea that comes in, and then occasionally when it goes to low tide, it looks as though there's no water there. Uh, yeah, but you also get the the converse, which is the aqua alta, yes. the high water. Mm. So yeah, I mean, if look, uh, well, Saint Mark's Square of... was Saint Mark's Square, I think, was underwater a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, mm. there you are. You're um, you're basically dealing with a place which is. Um, uh, uh, yeah, the tides in the Med are not that extreme, not compared with uh, around the UK, for example. No. But they still have tides, and if you get a high t- high water and the sort of storms and stuff, then um, it can get very very soggy underfoot. Yes. Um, and uh, and and so, you know, it's a it's a uh, sorry to be bringing you to the uh, bus stop and the car park, but <laughs> I am actually shortly getting onto a train. I, I might I was hoping to show you the marvellous new tram system which as you can imagine at a place like um uh venice is slightly limited in its um its yes. reach yes i imagine uh, you can't go that far in venice really can you uh well no i mean it, it's not <laughs> a place very sadly for for, for less able travelers um because obviously you go two feet oh there we are the, the tram i think we've just uh we've just oh you can see just in the distance just uh heading off towards oh, yes. um there we are uh mestre so, uh, yeah, not, not just lots of uncertainty, which, of course, is the last thing the travel industry wants because they basically sell dreams, and that's great. But um, if, you, if your neat dream holiday looks as though it could turn into a nightmare, you're not going to get many, um, many people booking. And, no, uh, I was going to ask you, I mean, do you have any idea what the sort of hotel occupancy rate is like in Venice at the moment? Well... I, the, the, the figure that I'm getting from a lot of Europe is basically um, at a push, 50%, but right. probably more like 40 okay. and quite possibly um, uh, less than that. And which is and that, that partly you're only getting that because a number of hotels have said, right, OK, we, we will um, uh, we, we'll give up, basically. Right. We're going to close down. For so this they're summer. not giving not you they're not they're not sort of out there giving you great deals or anything. Uh, good question. I, I was. Um, uh, I've been paying for a very nice double room in a very nice hotel, about 180 euros. But I didn't you know, normally, uh, Mike. I would be very tempted to um, uh, to sort of start ha- haggling, mm. but I just thought it would be unseemly after the terrible time. That well, true. Yes, having. I see what you mean. Yeah. So I just I just thought no. I'll uh, here we are. You see the here we are. There's the uh, the fast tram to uh, Venice. There we are. Uh, just drawing in This there. is fabulous. This is great. This is better than anything Michael Portillo's ever done. This is what I'm telling you. <laughs> now, what about um, um, uh, Simon? Uh, sorry, uh, Mick has sent this in, a question for Simon. Is it possible for you to show us the new Venice flood defences, or have you seen them and you can tell us about them? Uh, there, there's, there's a couple of flood defenders just coming in now. Can you see them? Yes. Uh, no, I, I haven't seen any sign of that at all. That would be, I imagine, out on the lagoon. Um, yes. A, a bit, bit. Now, my understanding is that it's kind of a more elaborate version of uh, people in, in East London will know the Woolwich flood barrier, yes. and um, it's a bit, bit more elaborate than that, but still not. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's still lots of, lots of un, 
uncertainty about the ties and everything else. Yeah. But the overwhelming odds are that you won't be flooded out in Venice, that you won't be quarantined, that you will have a great time, um, that uh, the sun will shine, the uh, the food is sparkle. The food is beautiful. The wine is fantastic. I mean, what's not to like? Well, quite. And I'm from Crawley, so, yeah, my standards are quite high. <laughs> Listen, I never want you to do me the walking tour of Crawley. That will never be required on uh, the Independent <laughs> Republic. Well, where are you off to next, Simon? Uh, I'm heading across to um, uh, Padua, which is uh, just gorgeous. About oh, I love Padua. Uh, uh, yeah, tw- maybe 40 miles inland from here. Yeah. Then heading south to Bologna. Nice. Uh, have some of that uh, spaghetti alla ragu, yeah. uh, which is what they, they, for some reason, don't call it spaghetti bolognese. No, um, they never have. Then down to uh, Florence, which I hope will be relatively empty and... Yeah. Uh, into the Tuscan hills. It is a Beautiful. tough life, Mark. It, it really Mike, is. Mike, but somebody has to do it. Yeah, I know. There we are. Well, listen, Simon, you've definitely earned your crust today. You've been wonderful. <laughs> Thank you uh, so much for uh, for showing us all around Venice. It's been fabulous My to see. Uh, and it's really, it's li- it's literally been, I think, for people who haven't been able to go anywhere for a while, it's been really brilliant because it's almost like being on holiday with you. <laughs> you, know? you wouldn't want that, I can tell well, you Well, no, but I mean, it's a fabulous thing that you've done. I really appreciate it, Simon. Thank you very much indeed. Maybe when you're in Padua and or Bologna and or Florence, uh, we can do it again. Oh, oh, that would be lovely. Yes, that would okay. be lovely. I'd, I'd love to see you climbing up the group, the big tower in Florence in the cathedral. Uh, the Domo, okay. I think it's called, because um, it's something like um, 500 steps and they've got an oxygen tank at the top. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can do it without getting out of breath. Simon Calder from The Independent. What a great, great report that was. Thank you so much. This is what you get from Talk Radio on TV. If you're not watching this right now, uh, you should watch it back on YouTube because you can watch it any time of the day or night. Uh, that was Simon Calder giving us a guided tour of Venice while telling us about all of the big news in the travel business. It looks like Italy is open for business. It looks as though Portugal will soon be open for business. It looks like Spain may soon be closed for business. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Mike Ward is with us now, though, TV critic for the Daily Express and the Daily Star, because believe it or not, (laughs) this will come as no great surprise to those of you who listen to this show, um, BritBox which, of course, is the, um, the, the, the setup that uh, BBC and ITV put together in order to sort of basically flog you programmes that you'd already paid for um, uh, on subscription. It doesn't seem to be going terribly well. Mike, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Um, this does not surprise me in the slightest. Well, yes, I know. I, you've never been a huge fan, and I completely, I, I know no where you're coming from yeah. on, on the BritBox thing. It's, I think we said before, it's like when if you take it in isolation as, you know... A, if you you know ignore the subscription for a minute, which I appreciate is a fairly significant p- factor, yeah. But you think, oh yes, all these programs, great programs from you know from decades past up to fairly recently, all in one place, right. love lovely. If you know if if it exists in a bubble, but the issue, of course, is that a um, you are paying a subscription five ninety nine a month. It's yeah. not the biggest amount compared to some, but it's still a subscription. But it's and, also and, on and, top of what you might already be paying, right? It's on top of what you might already be paying. It's on top of your license fee. Um, and obviously, when you've got BBC and ITV involved, there's that kind of blurring of the boundaries. Um, or, or in a lot of people's heads, you've obviously, you know, if you've got Netflix or Amazon Prime or Apple Plus or Disney or goodness knows what else, it's just another thing. <clears throat> and, you know, even if you're a great TV fan, there's only so many hours in the day. So, yeah, yeah BritBox is, is it's not capturing people's imagination in the, in the broader scheme of things in the way that perhaps um, that they'd hoped. And now they're announcing, obviously, that um, they're, they're commissioning more of their own original stuff. 
Well, uh, I think so. that's the only way it can go, really, because it, <clears throat> it has to. Because I mean, when they launched it, it was you know box sets of Downton Abbey, Broadchurch, Midsummer. Mm. I mean, Downton Abbey's still on telly. Right? It is, yes. Um, I saw Broadchurch was back on the other night because I yep. thought, oh, is there a new series? It turned out it was the last series, which they've been showing on ITV. And then Midsummer Murders is never off the telly. <laughs> no, it's I mean, I'm literally, I mean, it's actually harder to avoid watching Midsummer Murders than finding it. In all honesty, you could probably just watch ITV3 a yeah. lot of the time because an awful lot of this stuff is is you know crossing over similar territory right. and you're not yeah i mean yes if you go on to britbox and you have you know 48 hours in your day and nothing else to do you could just absorb your, you know, be absorbed by sort of ancient coronation street yeah. episodes and, whatever. and as somebody who who quite likes television i do quite like dipping into britbox and finding things that i hadn't expected or had forgotten about but that's not quite the same as operating in the commercial marketplace and and, and recognizing its its well, viability you, i mean you've got to create a demand don't you in order for you to yeah. be successful at this business you need people to want to come and watch you yes. and if they don't then you ain't going to do very well because and if you can't sell britbox during a lockdown yeah. then you've got no chance really well, have you? i think that you know i do think you know there probably have been quite a few people who who have welcomed it you know it's a it depends what sort of audience and what market you're looking at but the other issue is there is just there's too much stuff there is just so much stuff out there you know every day you know i'm I'm obviously sort of writing about stuff on terrestrial but then there's netflix Mm. and all these other streaming services and most of them when they announce a new series it's sort of here's season three uh 10 one hour episodes of that you think well most people probably that's enough yes. one one show that they really like yeah exactly i hardly ever get to the end of anything because mm. i'm always watching out for the new thing next thing i'm realized my situation is slightly unusual but i, do, I don't know who has the time have you to sought watch. any help about that if you can't ever reach the end of anything that means that you've got some kind of attention span problem i have got it? a terrible attention attention <laughs> span issue yeah I've, i genuinely have whenever i see a new series when they when i so do you not know how, how titanic ends <laughs> Goat, it drags on, I know that much. Goes on forever. There's a lot of drowning yeah, in that. There is. Um, yeah, I, I, and whenever I see a new series and I, I have a look, I think, oh, these episodes are only 23 minutes long. I'll watch that. Yes. It's actually got to the Do point you know, now. you're right. Yeah. I find, actually, it's interesting, if it's more than 45 minutes, yeah. I'm not that interested. You know, no. if, if, if the episodes are like an hour long, it's too long. Yes, 45 minutes is, is quite good. That um, Australian um, sort of thriller that's been on BBC One on, mo- on Monday nights, uh, the name of which I completely escapes me, my head's going to pieces. Um, that's, that's only 45 minutes because uh-huh. obviously it's made in, you know, for you know, to have commercials around right, it in, okay. in Australia. Yeah. So they, even that helps. Um, it, it, and there's an awful, I mean, they've, they've talked about EastEnders coming back. When mm. EastEnders comes back later in the year, each episode, they're going to do it four nights a week. Right. And I'll probably watch it as much as I normally do. Um, but it's only going to be 20 minutes per episode. You think, yes. oh, that could help. That, you know? that definitely could help. I mean, it won't make me watch it either. But no, I, mean, I appreciate but that. I mean, but... if you look at Disney, for example, they yeah. launched their live uh, streaming service, didn't they, just before the lockdown began. Mm-hmm. And they've done brilliantly. I mean, they've made an absolute fortune because so many people uh, wanted to watch what they were, what they were selling. Yeah, but but for BritBox, clearly that wasn't the case. It's difficult. That I mean, I, I've got no idea what the quality of these these new um, these new crime dramas that they've commissioned will be. I mean, they seem to have, you know. Well, you I know, see decent... they've commissioned some stuff from Irvin Welsh. <coughs> yeah, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Possibly not. No, possibly not. I don't. I don't know. Sort of to what extent they'll they'll take that into account. Mm. But you're you're then getting into that territory of saying, well, you know. This is being funded by what, and uh, you know, and then will this end up on ITV three or ITV one as it used to be? You know, anyway. Mm. So I, I don't quite know what the relationship is because obviously, BritBox is ninety percent ITV yeah. owned anyway. 
Um, so again, it's all about blurred boundaries. And at the end of the day, you know, how much TV, how much TV do you really need? Uh, you know, to get. I appreciate lockdown changes that that you know the the requirements to yes. a certain degree. But I do think there is just so much out there screaming for attention mm. simultaneously. I mean, I know a lot of people who, at the beginning of lockdown, were basically getting stuck into everything. But yeah. after about four weeks, I was talking to people quite often on the phone, and I'd be like. You know, I've, I've, I don't really fancy watching anything. No. You know, because you, once you've done it for four weeks, you just kind of go, that's it, I'm well, done. Well, I, 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 um, whenever people say, what's your favourite binge watch? Yeah. I actually say, I can't, the, the idea of binge watching, I mean, the way we're binge has yes. always had negative connotations. Exactly. If I sit down and watch something, anything, I mean, I'm hopeless at the cinema. I, you know, when I'm in power, 90 minutes will be the maximum time that any film Are is allowed sure to run. Are you sure you're a TV critic? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm selective, right. Mike. That's well, I mean, I've got bad news for you. Will Harrison, who's the UK Managing Director of BritBox, says yeah. uh, we are looking for content that is bold, bingeable and British. Yeah. So he's all in favour of binge watching, but I mean, I'm, I think I'm with you. I, I can't watch more than about two no, episodes of anything. To, uh, a couple of hours, you know, it doesn't mean I don't want to come back to it. No, you can come back like in, next week or something. Yeah, in one go. Yeah. And then I go, I want to go and walk the dog or, mm. or, 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 or do anything. Because yes. I just think after a while, your, your brain turns to mush yeah. and it ceases to be a pleasant experience. Exactly but then you can right. enjoy it more when you go back. It's, you know, binge mm. is not a healthy thing. It's the same with meals, you know. Exactly right. Brickbox, <laughs> 90% owned by ITV. I thought it was more of a 50 50 operation. Yes, I, I originally did. I didn't realise the proportions were, were quite uh, uh, divided up that way. I thought, I know, I knew it was predominantly ITV, but mm. I didn't know to, to that extent. Does anyway, that mean yeah. that the Beeb will only get one tenth of the profits then if they ever make any? Oh, goodness knows. <laughs> What's going on with the BBC, by the way? I don't know. Because, Is it still you know, going? Is it still well, running? it still seems to be going, but they've yeah. decided in their wisdom to cut the only decent show they had, which mm -hmm. was Andrew Neil's show, um, yeah. and he doesn't seem particularly happy about it. No. He's been putting out messages on social media saying, you know, this was not a decision made because of cuts. No. So there's obviously more, quite, yeah. more to that story than meets the eye. Yeah, I think we can guess what it is. But, uh, well, uh, yeah. well, I'm not sure. I, don't, I right. mean, there could be any number of different reasons why they've decided to get rid of it. But, I mean, you know, there's so many other shows they could have got rid of. In You're their going quest to... to save money. Go on. Well, I mean, Newsnight for a start. Yeah. Have I got news for you? Which is awful now. It um, is actually, yeah. It's, the it's one show. It's not just because of the... Which, um... I could, which I could live without quite happily. Yeah. Uh, strictly, you could do without that. Too expensive. Yeah. You know, anything that costs too much money, if you're saving money, is the thing that you cut, isn't it? You'd have thought so, depending on what your priorities are and whether you think that you have a, a, a broader agenda than mm. just producing things cheaply. But um, I do sometimes watch things and think, well, why do you, you don't? You could have actually made this program just as watchable on a, a fraction of what you spent yeah. on it. But there is, I, I guess, when you you know, it goes back to that bubble thing we've always talked about. You know, sometimes people don't actually sort of step out of the pit, you know, of that bubble and right. think, well, this doesn't necessarily. I mean, this is the to... same organisation that thinks putting a GoPro camera on the front of a canal boat yeah. and sending up a canal for two hours uh, with nobody talking is a great idea. I like the nobody talking bit. Really? <laughs> two hours, right? <laughs> two of, hours of a but canal boat. Is... Just going up a canal. In all honesty, you can't. You, you can probably still buy. Can you buy those DVDs of goldfish on bowls on on Amazon or something? Just buy one of those yeah. and just put that on in yeah. your telly. Yeah. Well, just I mean, you, this is the point. You have got YouTube now. You've got all sorts yeah. of other ways of watching different things on your TV. You don't actually need to watch any television channels. Yeah. It's all about. It all boils down to all these things boil down to context, don't they? They all boil down to saying, well, yes, in isolation, that might sound like a nice idea, but a, does it justify the cost? B, is anybody going to watch it? And C, how does it fit into the 
broader options that f the average viewer mm. is going to have to sift through on a typical evening. Yeah. So, you know, it's Exactly it's right. Well, world. I predict the demise of BritBox this time next year. I'm saying it's not going to be here. Okay. We there shall you go. see. We I'll hold see. you to that. See if you can get through an entire series before the next time we speak. <laughs> we'll Mike, try. thank you very much indeed. Mike Ward there, a TV critic for The Express uh, and The Daily Star. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.